Welcome to a Dollar Bin recording of the SC Comic Con panel discussion with John Wesley Ship. It's moderated by Dollar Bin's own Brian Eisen. Unfortunately, we missed the very beginning of this panel where Brian introduces John Wesley Ship and asks his first question. I'll go ahead and replace Brian in asking the question, and then uh, we'll jump into the middle of John Wesley Ship's answer. All right, so Brian's question went something a little like this. The first question that I have for you that I'm sure we all want to know the answer to, which father figure was more difficult playing, Barry Allen's dad on The Flash or the Dawson's dad on Dawson's Creek? It was at this point that John Wesley Ship kind of laughed and almost fell out of his chair. Possibly I had my back to him. It sounded something like that. And uh, he goes in to describe the dichotomy of father figureness, and uh, we jump into him talking a little bit about being Barry Allen's dad. Son to have a life. Uh, then we find out that there are paranormal events, and we see a, that relationship flip. Then we see that beautiful episode then where Barry comes to Henry and is totally defeated. The man in the yellow suit was right there, and I let him go. Up till now, every day you've been in here was because of him. Now it's because of me, and I'm saying, I'm giving him the pep talk, you know. So they've found so many dimensions in different ways, and there's more to come, of writing this father-son relationship. That it's, it's uh, I'd have to say... Although one was a four-year effort, and I've only played this one for, for one, so obviously we explored a lot of different things. But obviously the darker elements of the character, although Mitch Leary, we had the open marriage and the separation leading to an almost divorce. So it's been, uh, they've been very different. The most psychotic dad I ever played was Teen Wolf. <laughs> I can't even watch that. It was so funny when I was smashing the plates and throwing things at him and Daniel Sharman. I'm going to say, well, I won't say the word, but Daniel came up to me and he said, man, you are, you are scaring the blank out of me. I was like, well, good, no acting. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I imagine that it's really hard to, um, to, really hard and emotional to do the scenes that you have to do on The Flash, though, because it seems like, you know, there's a lot of fun on that show and a lot of um, excitement, but it seems like every kind of conversation that you have to have given where the characters are is kind of a heart-wrenching father-son. Is it, is it hard to get kind of get up for those scenes, or do you feel really spent afterwards for all that? I'll tell you, two things contribute to that, and the major one is Grant Gustin and the way he works. His work is so honest, and he comes to the table, and it's, you know, people said it must be confining to be in that booth or in that hospital bed, but both structurally with the show that's moving constantly, the cameras get to land. The audience gets to land. And we're confined. We can't do our business. You know, it's just uh, actor to actor, heart to heart, you know. And he's so present. You know, he's so emotionally available and so full. And that's what I try to be. And, uh, and so we, we, we connected uh, right away. Also, people have really connected with Henry Allen and I and you know I, I have been very complimentary about my work and I take that I receive that and I thank but I also acknowledge it's like when Grant I saw Grant at the upfronts and I hadn't seen the pilot yet he said man our scene is so moving he said I, I had to sit there and go all right man it's not cool to cry while you're on screen at your own scene and he said but it's so moving I said well if it hadn't been that would have been our fault because the Henry Allen scenes are positioned in the episode when the audience, A, needs to take a breath, and you need 
to get inside the hearts and minds of the characters. So from from the you got to let it go to we've talked about this to if the Flash were my son, then I would tell him. I mean, these are all moments that are structurally at the peak emotional. In a musical, we call them the 11 o'clock number. The, the number right at the, we brought you to this point, and then we get an emotional release. So part of that I can take credit for, and part of that I can, uh, I can freely give credit to the, uh, to the producers and the writer. I'll tell you, shooting the pilot was a surreal experience for me, because, of course, revisiting something. I've just had this conversation with Mark Hamill. He'll be back on the show a week from Tuesday, March 31st. The trickster comes back. And he, we were in the car driving home, and he said, you know, rarely do you get to visit a project 24 years later and have an effect on where it's going and essentially hand it off to the new generation. And I was already emotionally full walking onto that set for our first prison scene. And then David Nutter, he walks up to me with a bottle of water. He says, there are some lines that we've written that we didn't want you to hear until now. And he said, and so don't come in until you hear this line. He said, but there's going to be some things before you say I love you, son, that you've never heard. And we did this on purpose. Just know that we have written these things to try to live up to you and, 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 and to the job that you did in proving that the Flash could be done. Well, I'm already, your director says that to you. I'm already half in the bag <laughs> before the cameras ever started running. I'm like, and then he says, okay, roll it. I'm like, and then Grant starts with, Remember when, hello, dollar bins. Uh, you know, uh, he said, you remember when you wanted me to change my name because you didn't want anyone to be associated with me. He said, well, I'm glad I didn't change my name. You know, I am proud of you and I'm proud to be your son. I never heard those words. And I was sitting there going, you know, and it, uh, it just worked beautifully. David Nutter, one of our executive producers, who Scott now is doing uh, a new series that I'm not supposed to talk about, so forget I heard <laughs> you heard me say that. Um, is such a wonderful director. Before another scene, before my arrest scene, where I'm being dragged from the house, and I'm going, Barry, Barry, he comes up to me, and he just says very quietly, right before we start rolling, you know, you were my hero as a kid growing up. Okay, five, four, three, two, one, action. I'm like, Barry! You know, but that's a smart director. That's a really smart director, so I hope I, you know, answered your question. It's, it's just so lovely. You know, Grant came up to me, the one where he comes to me, the man in the yellow suit, and he says, it's my fault, I did it from now, and I say, Barry, you don't, and I say, Iris, even with Iris, and he goes, what do you mean, Iris? I said, I, I'm your dad, you don't think I know how you love her? But before that, he was so exhausted, and I know the feeling, and he came to me, and he said, ah, oh, man, there aren't going to be any waterworks today. He said, I'm too tired, I'm just not emotionally there. I said, let that be the last thing you think about. Let's just go into that booth and let's just be and just say the words and just be there for each other. And of course, he knocked it out of the friggin' park. You know, the guy can just break your heart. I'm, I'm really uh, a fan. Yes. It sounds like that has been a really creatively rewarding experience for you. Did you have any sort of trepidation at all about signing on? Uh, to be part of The Flash again? Not, not when I heard who was involved. And I had worked with Greg Berlanti on Dawson's Creek. He took over Dawson's Creek when Kevin Williamson left. And, of course, Jeff John's whole reinvigoration of the Flash, Flash-averse, you know. Uh, so I knew him. I had met Andrew on the back lot 
when he was an assistant at Warner Brothers when I was doing my effort. And everybody is aware, David Nutter, who directed several episodes of Games of Thrones. I mean, he's one of the most sought-after directors in Hollywood. So with, with those four, and then I read the pilot, and I was like, wow, these are smart. Because we explored what does speed look like from everybody else in the rest of the world. So they took it to the next logical step, which is what does the rest of the world look like when you're in hyperspeed? So when they throw everything into slow motion and you see how the rest of how someone who's moving so fast, how is everything else in the world going to look? The second thing I love that they do is what effect does it have on the environment? Okay, you run down a street, you blow the windows out of cars. You know, there's going to be an effect. What is the cause and effect? What's the environmental effect? I mean, they're, they're just smart. Plus, it's a different world that, uh, that the show is coming into. And I always tell the story. When we went to San Diego Comic-Con with the first effort, I was there for three or four hours. I signed several autographs and went back to L.A. This time, 180,000 people took over San Diego. We premiered our pilot in front of 7,000 people in Hall H. The audience is already there. You know, comic books have gone mainstream. So what a, what a relief. That's one, that's one rock we don't have to push up the hill because the audience is already there waiting. Jesse Martin, when we were in San Diego, he was like, man, we haven't even been on the air yet, and we're getting all this love. So it's great to see, uh, it's great to see that group not have to work quite as hard you know, against uh, you know, being right at the beginning of an explosion of something, but to have an audience already built in that you're stepping into is a completely different dynamic. And you and Jesse have been on really big shows before, but that must be kind of a completely new thing to have such a fan devotion because I, th- I think that uh, the original Flash show doesn't necessarily get the credit it deserves, but the fan base is so much bigger for things now mm-hmm. and so much more alive. Is it, is it really any comparison when you were in the suit to, to Grant? Do you, do you see similarities, or is, it, or is it like, wow, this is something completely different that you're doing? You know what I notice? I really notice. When I, when I went in, I was... Uh, I was very uh, concerned about playing a comic book treatment for television. Because, you know, I just come from New York. I'd won a couple Emmys, and I was like, okay. Back-to-back Emmys. Yeah, a pretense, pretenses of being perhaps delusional, a serious actor. But, uh, and, I, you know, I, I didn't want to do anything that was campy or, you know, although they have their own charm, those shows. But it just wasn't what I was interested in. And, therefore, I was a little bit freaked out about the suit. Yeah. I was a little bit freaked out about the suit. I didn't want to have a lot of dialogue in the suit. Uh, if there is a criticism that I make of my own performance, it's that when I'm in the suit, sometimes I can appear uncomfortable, you know, particularly if I have to talk. I kept saying, don't write dialogue in the suit. You know, let me be Barry. Yeah. But, you know, 24 years later, comic books have a whole now quarter of a century tradition of being treated respectfully and seriously as the pop cultural art form as they are and not written down to and not made fun of. So he steps into an entirely different ethic. He's like, yeah, bring it. (laughs) You know, he talks in the suit. He's moving around. He's dancing and, you know, hopping on things. He's completely comfortable and at home uh, in the suit. And that's a real qualitative difference in in how the medium has... uh, has come. Of course, he's 10 years younger. He's sort of like the Barry Allen that I played 10 years younger than, he, than I was when I did it. And what that gives him is uh, it, it lends itself to Barry Allen's sort of 
step, you know, stumble over your own footprint, the humor, the nobody takes him seriously, the whole, it really lends itself to that because he's young and he's cultish and he's not quite filled into his own, you know, as the show goes on, now that it's a big hit, we'll see him grow into that role. There were complaints at the beginning, he's too young. Say, well, make the show a hit. And after a few seasons, he won't be. And, you know, you guys have done that, and it's, it's great to see. Um, did I answer your question? Yes, sir. Um, but you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the suit, and I wanted to ask you about it. As an actor, you said that it made you uncomfortable. Was it uncomfortable itself? It was, uh, 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 <laughs> first of all, if you can imagine, you know, they have all these ways of making Because it looks fantastic. If you go to his table and you look at the – for anybody who didn't see the show, if you go to his table and get – one of the pictures signed, the suit looked fantastic. I loved that suit, the way it looked. Well, they spent, in 1990, we're talking, they spent $100,000 to build four suits. And uh, first thing I wanted to know when they talked to me about doing it, I do not want to be running around in a pair of red tights. They went, oh, you won't be. <laughs> <laughs> and then they brought me in, and, you know, this is the days when they did the cowl. They didn't use the gel fast. They did plaster of Paris. And they totally entombed me with, with uh, tubes up my nose, and it was getting darker and more silent and heavier. And then they took the buzzsaw and cut me out, <laughs> cut me out of it, and so that they could then make the cow. But that was made out of. They basically. It's the weirdest process. I remember they greased me down, wrapped me in cellophane, put a spandex suit on. And then they began to glue the individual muscle pieces. Now, the reason they greased me down and put cellophane on because the glue gets hot, burns as it's drying. So then they glued all of the individual pieces on. Then they took that and flocked it with the red material. And it looked great. One problem, I'd have it on for 10 minutes, and I would be sweating through two and a half inches of foam latex. They'd take the gloves off and literally turn them over, and they'd be full of sweat up to the wrist. So I was sweating through it. I thought it looked cool. You know, the muscles were sweating. Not comic books. So then they had a solution for that. They sprayed it with a sealant. So everything stayed. I was drowning in that suit. But then by the first episode, they came up with a cooling unit like race car drivers wear. And uh, it was the funniest looking thing. I couldn't sit down. So they got the old lean board. I think Betty Davis used it. How's that for macho? Because when they were in the big gowns, you know, they propped me up on this. They had a hose that would come out where the belt was, and they'd plug it into an ice chest and circulate ice water through. <laughs> <laughs> so once I, they actually had a picture. I had the cow back. On this particular day, I was everyone under the age of twenty. Close your ears, smoking a cigarette, which I don't do anymore, and I stopped, and it's really awful for you. And I was drinking a diet coke, you know, and I'm propped up on this board, plugged into an ice chest. I was like, man, if that picture ever gets out. Forget about it. That'll be the uh, be the end of our. Nowadays, show. if that hit the internet, there'd be a whole scandal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Either that, or they think it was cool and write it into the script. I don't know. You never know these. Days. So, it, pretty much any time you see if Grant ever complains about the suit, you just immediately say, "Kid, you got it easy." No, I don't at all. <laughs> no, I don't. In fact, I'm very protective of him uh, because he it looks cooler and it's thinner, but he's got he does have a musculature enhanced musculature under that suit, and that suit is evolving. Yeah. You know, just like ours did. I, we had the opposite problem. I kept saying, cut the muscles down, cut the muscles down. The, the dude's thing is speed. He's got to be aerodynamic. You know, it can't look like pumping iron and yeah. move at super speed. It just didn't make any sense. And we did cut it down. By the time we got to the Pollock's episode, the traps weren't as big. You know, the things had been scaled down. But 
he's got a leather shell on the outside of his. So he's got the same deal. Now, now they have gotten it so they don't have to glue it down to his face. Yeah. You know, so he can just pull the cowl back without taking it off with acetone and then putting it back on the glue. But, uh, no, I saw, I saw him early on. You know, he's leaning up against the side of the set, and his face is covered in water. And they have a cooling tent for him. They say, man, you got 23 episodes. You got to go. You better take every chance you get and go into your, your cooling unit. Or I would hear the ADs saying, uh, oh, they got a wide shot. We could use a double, but, ah, Grant can do it. And I said, you know, guys. Whenever you can use a photo double, you need to do it. Because it's when you're playing a costumed superhero, let me rephrase this. I'm not whining. When you are fortunate enough to be asked to play a costume character, what you're involved in, you're taking on two roles, and you're in every scene. You're either what I call the creature or you're <laughs> Barry, Barry Allen. You know. So, And then you have everything that comes along with the suit, the heat, Prostrate. I mean, I'd be in that thing for 15 minutes, and, you know, he couldn't hear. Once he couldn't hear that the boom was coming this way, and they were going, Grant, look out, look out, bam. So, actually, when the car explodes, there's a cut on his head. They put, that's not makeup. He, he ran it, the camera boom thing ran into his head because he couldn't see and he couldn't hear. Now, they've made improvements. They've made so he can hear better. They made it so it doesn't have to glue. So, in between takes, you lose 40% of your body heat through your head. He can just flip that thing back, which we do in the Trickster episode. There's a great moment. You got to see it a week from Tuesday where, where he, has, he has the thing flipped back and we have a, a cool father-son moment. But, uh, yeah, what did you ask me? <laughs> <laughs> did your, um, now, I know um, that uh, shooting soaps the day, every day having content can be very hectic. Um, did your years on soaps, kind of prepare you for what it was going to be like for a primetime show, being the first guy on the call sheet? You're not going to tell you. It's, you know, when we, there was a group of us, Kevin Bacon, uh, Marsha Clark, Lisa Brown, Julianne Moore. We all started in the early 80s during the youth explosion on daytime when, uh, you can't hear me? The youth explosion on daytime uh, when suddenly, uh, you know, daytime uh, was getting primetime numbers. Again, you have to repeat your question. I just got just lost. Just if the, I know how oh. hectic the, the soap schedule And we would do a 50, 60-page script a day in daytime, five hours of television a week. So years later when I was doing Dancing at Lunas on Broadway and playing another psycho on All My Children, uh, you know, they crammed a sixth episode in that week. And I was doing 30 and 40 pages of dialogue, just my scenes a day, and then going to the theater. Well, you know, we started as kids doing – it was not unusual at all to have your scenes be 25 pages. You'd have to prepare 25 to 30 pages a day that you would have to memorize, and you had to come up with a technique for doing that very rapidly. Um, then we went out to L.A. to do a project, and they have eight days to shoot one hour, and they look on the call sheet, and they say, oh, we got to do 10 pages total to do, oh, we got a heavy day, nine pages. <laughs> and we're looking at each other like, Really? That's a hard day, you know. Um, so dealing with that volume and having to learn to memorize that quickly, and you soon, soon realize that unless it's techno babble or medical speak, you don't memorize words. You memorize the thoughts and you memorize what does the character want through the course of the scene and the words memorize themselves. Everybody always says, how do you memorize all those words? I said, that's the last worry that you have. 
You know, it's figuring out who the character is, what does he want, what are his obstacles, what is he willing to do to get it, what is he really saying when I say this line, what am I thinking? Once you chart all that out, you discover that the lines have memorized themselves. So you, you break the, the script analysis, I think, because I could go off on this, but it's one of the most important things in acting before you ever open your mouth or stand up to have the script broken down and analyzed. How much prep time would you even have for uh, soap work? Is that the kind of thing where you get tomorrow's script today? It could be really dicey. So you're, you're doing today's work that you've already memorized and worked on, and then they hand you, oh, here's your 12 pages for tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you wouldn't even have looked because pretty much – uh, over the weekend, if you were lucky, you would have your five scripts and you would just simply take all, your, all my scenes out and then I'd organize them by scene and then I'd do a rough outline of what was happening. And then the night before, I would memorize my lines for the next day. Now, when it would get dicey is when rewrites would come in. This would happen also on Dawson's Creek because there was a while when Kevin was doing Scream and Halloween. I don't know what Dawson's Creek. I know what you did last summer, killing Mrs. Tingle, which they had to change to teaching Mrs. Tingle <laughs> right after Columbine. And, uh, um, and we were getting scripts as they were coming in. I mean, as we were doing them, right before we walked. I remember the big, uh, big scene where I had to break down with Dawson at the dinner table about the divorce and him saying on my scene, my scene about my dad always taught me how to, you know, uh, drive a car. He taught me how to shave, but he, ne- what he never taught me is what to do if my wife cheated on me. I never knew to ask and Mitch breaks down. Well, they were giving me all these lines and it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. And then I was saying, you know, why don't we cut this? Why don't we cut that? Can we move this? I think Kevin said, let him say whatever he wants. <laughs> but it's because, you know, he knew that I was serving the character. I have directors say to me, you're the only actor I ever knew who cuts his own lines. But I'd rather say something once and have it have an impact than, than dilute it. But, yeah, definitely. That soap opera it was like boot camp. That's like actor boot camp. Yeah. That, that doesn't exist anymore, really, because most of the soaps are gone. There were eight, ten soap shooting in new york when i started uh and now there's none yeah, at any given time when i was growing up you know there would be from 12 until 4 you would have soaps on every channel that's right every hour right um now how lo- how long do you normally get the subject matter for like for a show like the flash like how long do you get to have that script before you have to step in step into those shoes and film your scenes it varies obviously i had the pilot because they had to sell that script yeah. uh, way ahead of time but now Greg Berlanti and Andrew Kreisman, they wrote the Oscars. They're writing a treatment for Supergirl. I think they're planning a spinoff for Firestorm. Uh, 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 oh, the redhead, Will and Grace. Deborah Messing, her show, that's Greg Berlanti's uh, uh, show. So they're the busiest guys in Hollywood right now. So I know that I go back March 30th to begin shooting this season finale, and I don't know when I'll get that script. I haven't even seen her treatment yet. He has told me verbally what they have planned both for the last show of this season and the first show of next season which is mind-blowing really but do they make you uh, nowadays with the way the internet and the media is do you have to sign all sorts of confidentiality agreements about things like you are a a, a private eye or you're a member of some spy organization (laughs) i went to a commercial audition the other day and it was for a top secret you know uh, non-disclosed credit card company, and you had to sign a non-disclosure agreement before you went in to do a commercial audition. I'm like, wow, this is really <laughs> cloak and dagger. 
But the competition is so fierce. And as you say, social media is so immediate. Very funny story. I have a picture on my table. I went in onto the set. I met Grant for the first time in Vancouver. And he's got his jacket on and a hood, and I've got a red hood in my jacket. And the director of photography happened to be standing there. He said, quick, go get together. Let's take a picture for your first meeting. Great. So then I thought, oh, this is a good picture. I'd like to tweet it. But I know that they're very weird about that. So I asked David, when do you think we might be able to make this available for social media? Would it be – so he contacts somebody who contacts Warner – who contacts – next thing I know, I'm getting bombarded (laughs) – with, don't, 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 I understand you have a picture you want to tweet that you took and don't, and I'm saying, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, I, I didn't take a picture. Second of all, I, I went through proper channels. I was like, cool down, guy. <laughs> you know, I'm not about here to try to sabotage the project. But, uh, yeah, we had to all get on the same page with that, but I understand it. What astounds me is that they kept the character that I was playing secret for so long. Because they had my name, my character name on my dressing room door while we were shooting the pilot in February. I'm like, well, they're not going to be able to keep this a secret. But they did. Uh-huh. And they must have threatened the lives of, <laughs> of our extras. I mean, we will come to your home and we will kill your whole family. I mean, I don't – all it would have taken was – and everyone would have known. But they kept it a secret. So it was a big announcement when they said I was going to be on, and then it was another big announcement when they announced what character I'd be playing. The CW and the Warner, you know, Benjamin Brown and Susan Gomez, our publicity people, they are aces. They've got it down to a science managing social media. How, uh, how rewarding is it? You mentioned earlier doing, um, you know, getting to uh, work with Mark Hamill again. But um, as somebody who watched and, and loved the original show, I imagine for you it's pretty cool when you see, you know, that Mark Hamill's going to come back and play the trickster and that Amanda Pays is coming back to play the same character that she did in the show and obviously they cast you in the show. Is that is that something you did uh uh, that you really feel from the creative direction of the show that they're paying homage to totally. what you did before? Totally. And in so many ways that you might even know, not know. Uh, David Nutter, I was watching an episode and the centrifuge wasn't spinning for Grant's Barry. And I'm like, hmm, this looks familiar. And at one point, it's not working, and he smacks the side of the centrifuge, and then he looks around and gets this idea, he takes the test tube out. I did that exact action. Smack the side of the centrifuge, look around, get out, and did it like that. I'm like, wait a minute, who directed <laughs> this episode? And at the end, it was David Nutter, who was a, bi- who was a big fan of, of the first effort. So that it's loaded with those kinds of things. Mark, it was great. Amanda, I've seen and kept in touch with, but I hadn't seen Mark and his wife for 24 years. So it was great being on set with him. And they're very smart the way they do it because obviously his first trickster, if you saw it, he was so physical. He was out there. He's throwing himself up against a padded cell. He dislocated his shoulder during that scene going, nobody tricks the trickster, you know, throwing himself up against the wall. Well, obviously he's not going to be that physical this time, nor I, nor any of us 24, 25 years later. So they have a new trickster, wannabe trickster, who gets assigned all of that stuff and Mark is sort of the elder statesman trickster from the inside, and the whole story is how do they hook up and what do they do, what havoc do they wreak as a result of that. And you and actually get some scenes with Mark in that episode, I don't do. you? I yeah. do, I do. Well, no, no don't, don't tweet that. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. So it's coming up a week from Tuesday. Um, now, you actually also uh, voice the reverse flash 
I did. In an episode of The Great Batman Brave and the Bold Show. So are you uh, giving Tom Cavanaugh any uh, tips like you might give Grant? <laughs> <laughs> I, avoid, I avoid giving any tips of any kind. Uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty wild. They called and asked me to do that, and uh, I thought it was fun. Uh, but I wasn't, int- I wasn't uh, familiar with a- acting to animation. So I got there with Dietrich Bader and everybody, and we're all standing in a semicircle, and there are no visuals. And, of course, as an actor, I'm trying to act person like this and they're going john cut would you you need to stay on the mic and then i'm in the middle of the scene i'm going like this and i'll go like this i'll start talking to you you know and totally disappear but my character was totally flat so we had to come back in to do some lines where we got pops and snaps or technical difficulties but they had done the visuals so i saw the guy i was voicing and suddenly the lines that i had to for technical reasons revoice sprang to life and so they went um John, <laughs> after everyone else leaves, would you uh, mind staying and uh, revoicing your entire part? <laughs> I said, yeah, this is completely different. I have a visual cue to, to act off on. But yeah, yeah, that was fun. I figure, you know, I, I played Barry. I played Barry's worst enemy. I played Barry's father. So who knows what's next? <laughs> The, uh, you mentioned uh, you know doing that audio. You actually have a um, an audio project you're working on now, isn't it? Yes. Something about Powder Burns. Would you like to explain kind of what that is, everybody? Very cool. One of my uh, when I was playing another psychotic dad from 2010 2012, I went back to daytime after an absence of 20 years to play this outrageous character on 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 One Life to Live. Great fun. And uh, David Gregory played the oldest of my three abused sons. And he's producing and directing and has written a radio drama, a radio mystery drama. It's a Western. It's called Powder Burns, where justice is blind. And I play a blind sheriff. And David plays my assistant. And it's this whole intricate, we just shot the pilot present, didn't shoot it, recorded the pilot presentation. uh, And uh, that's in post-production now. I don't know what uh, the, I don't know where it will be, what the delivery system will be, if it will be iTunes or what. But it was fascinating to do. Is that your first sort of experience with that sort of kind of besides the animation, just sort of full audio and and nothing else? Yeah, because you realize you can be there and you can be you can be doing all kinds of things that no one will completely wasted. So you you have to learn every time that that you go to make a gesture. Even restraining yourself from doing it physically so that all of your gestures are conveyed through your voice. Because they ain't going to see what you're doing in that recording booth. You know, you can act your heart out in that recording booth. Ain't nobody going to see that. So it was a different uh, technique. Uh, Hopefully you you guys have some questions. I'll come around, just kind of raise your hand, and I'll, you know, get to you as I can. Where am I hooked up? I'm going to come out front. I don't want to be behind this table. When you consider uh, the improvements in CGI the past 24 years, has that changed the way you might approach a role? For example, you might think, well, it's going to look a lot more realistic now than it did then. You know, it's interesting. There are a couple answers to that question. Uh, One is it's amazing how many shows are going back to practical effects because whether this is a human flaw or a human trait, I don't know, but we want that element of danger. And after you've seen it created and you know, oh yeah, they did that all with computers so many times, it begins to lose its effect. So they more and more are, 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 are mixing in practical effects so that you aren't always 100% sure. I mean, obviously, some things like the tornado, but uh, 
it's like I was t- talking to somebody at my table. Our our show, it took us nine days, two units shooting simultaneously to get an hour. And they're shooting an eight-day episode now. And their effects are better. That's because they can do so much more in post. It saves the wear and tear on the actors. It saves, in many instances, people getting hurt uh, because they can add so much. I remember Andrew Kreisberg saying to me at the CD up, CW Upfronts, I hadn't seen the I had just seen the pilot, and he came up to me and he says, "I bet you're surprised what we can do." And it, you know, they've got a great special effects budget, and it, 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 it's freaking awesome, you know, what they can do. Yes. Um, Barry's relationship with Henry is obviously an important driving factor for him in the series, but he has a, a surrogate father relationships also with Joe and with Harrison. And I guess I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the theme of fatherhood and the father-son relationship and whether or not those parallels with those two characters is intentional or sort of serendipitous. No, I, th- I, th- I think it's very intentional. First of all, every father and son relationship I've ever played has been loaded. There's something inherent in that dynamic that is very visceral for writers and directors, actors, and viewers. And you're right. He has three father figures. And, but what I want to talk about is the way Grant handles that. Because you might think, okay, these scenes are going to be repetitious, but they're not. Notice the way Grant comes to Henry. He comes like a little boy because Henry raised him from birth to age 10. He has scenes with Joe that are, quantity, I mean, you know, what, what's content-wise are similar, but he is a young man more with Joe because he went to live with Joe at the age of 10 who raised him into young adulthood. Now with Harrison, there's a whole nother dynamic. That's a person that that's the betrayal thing where you think there's somebody that's on. And then you begin to think you begin to suspect that maybe you've been portrayed at, at, at one of the most basic relationships that you have. And so that's creeping in now. Particularly, We see a lot of that in the trickster episode, him trying to balance you know, his former faith and trust in this man, you know, to basically, take care of him around this thing he doesn't understand and can't control. And he realizes, wait a minute, have you, uh, did you kill my mom? You know, it's like that whole thing. But the way Grant is differentiating the way he plays his scenes with the three of the, uh, us is really something to watch and to pay attention. And, and, and it causes me to admire him very much, much as an actor. Very emotional with me. Even when he says he's too tired to be, it just, it triggers, you know, and, uh, as a little boy would be, full of emotion, very emotional, tear. And with Joe, he's a young man coming into his own. Makes perfect sense, dramatically. What do you think? What do you tell me? Because you obviously asked that question for a reason. What do you What do you see in it? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely, I, you're absolutely right. And it hits him hard when it, he has to start coming face-to-face with that. It's, it's really something to watch. Thank you for that question. Yes. All right. So, so far in season one, your character is restricted to the prison, and that's how all of your relationship with Barry. Um, I'm jumping the gun by assuming this, but let's say season two, 
you're outside the prison and you're directly involved in Barry's life. How do you think Henry Allen will evolve or adjust outside of prison life directly involved in his son's life? I don't know. In fact, I didn't know uh, if Henry would have a life beyond season one. Now, I, I just had a big conversation with Andrew Kreisberg. He said, well, it would hardly make sense for us to spend all of season one vindicating and getting Henry out of prison, you know, only to have him disappear in season two. So, yes, there will be. But I'm curious to find out, you know, uh, from Andrew's perspective, it opens it up for there to be a lot more possibilities in the relationship. You know, I'm also curious to see, okay, he's got three dads. Who's going to make the cut? You know, it's like, uh, I don't think that will be the case forever. So is one of us going to, I mean, we don't know. We don't know. We, we, you know, it's kind of exciting, you know, to get the, you don't know. I don't know. You know, I know I'll be in the season finale. I know I'll be in the season opener for sec for a second season. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, but let me tell you, they've got so many tricks up their sleeve. You know, I'm constantly like I'm, I touched on the father son scenes that first heartbreaking scene with Grant where I'm defeated and he's propping me up. And then the scene where he's defeated and I'm propping him up. And then I'm like, well, we've done it. And then we have the hospital scene where I put it in the subjunctive. I don't say, I know you're the flash. I'd say, well, if the flash were my son, I would tell him a few things. I would tell him this. I would tell him that's that that's heavy stuff. So they come up with version number three. I think, well, that, that, that that's it. They can't write the father-son scene. Any, then they come up with another way. So who knows? Who knows? What's going to happen with Harrison? How much do you guys know about Harrison at this point? Because we're way ahead in, in our shooting. What do the, you know? The last episode uh, kind of laid out. If, Where's that if, coming if, from? Yeah, oh. me. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the, the last episode, if everybody watched this past Tuesday, kind of cleared the, uh, the air about what his true intentions were. That was a Cisco and, and, one, and right? Tom, yeah. That was just on the and, and Tom Cavanaugh is actually kind of notorious for just kind of telling people that he's been evil the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's almost a good subterfuge, isn't it? Because you think if he's being that out there about it, it must not be true. I mean, there was a lot of speculation that it was going to be me. I mean, it's great. I love getting on you got to have a thick skin because some of the things you read about, it, you know, a lot of opinionated fans out there, but that's great. Everyone's engaged. Jeff John said, you know, I love to read the comments. Ah, we don't like this. Ah, we don't believe that. I'm he says, because then I, I want to get in there and convince them. You know, at the beginning of the new effort, they were saying, ah, but he played a villain on Glee. How can he play a superhero? I'm like, wait a minute. When I came to Flash, I came carrying two Emmys, both for psychopaths. So he's carrying on a tradition, you know. It's like, ah, oh, you know, the suit is done. There aren't enough muscle. Wait a minute. The dude's thing is, he's got to be aerodynamic. You know, give it a chance. Let, let's look at it. You know, well, Jeff says he loves to get in there and convince people. And I have people saying, man, you were right. You were right. I, I said, just watch the first time. You know, and then uh, and then you'll be hooked. So it's been it it has been great. I mean, to go on Rotten Tomatoes, you guys know about that website, and to know that you have a ninety six to ninety eight percent when you tune in, uh, uh, that's unheard of. It's 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 awesome to be a part of that. There's nothing more heartbreaking than to be working your butt off. I don't care what your job is, and just can't quite push it over the top of the hill. You know. But this, this, this is going great guns, and it's, it's great to see.
I love that um, the show is bringing in characters from other parts of the DC universe, and especially uh, characters that non-comic readers have probably never even heard of, like Firestorm and Plastique and such. And uh, do you know, and if so, can you tell us, are we going to see more of that and maybe even more obscure characters in the future? Yeah, they're under one thing that uh, I know the guys are really under pressure to do is that, let's face it, this, I mean, this ship has sailed. The comic books have hit the mainstream and everybody's going to want to capitalize on that. So they're, they're spinning, I don't know, they're they're burning up story at such a furious pace that I'm going like, are they planning to go beyond a season one? But they are introducing characters. They're introducing because they want to get other shows. We'll see if they kill the goose that lays the golden egg. You know, we got a super girl out here. Firestorm is spinning off. We got, you know, all these things happening, but you know, we'll see, but yes, there will be more characters. They've got so many plans. And that's the great thing about working for these guys is that they are the audience that they are writing for. And that's apparent. Even the changes that they make to make it maybe appeal to a broader audience are still done respectfully. You know, they're not coming out of left field. They're not going to enrage the core comic book audience because they are the core comic book audience, you know, and they love this character. Uh, so, yes, you're going you're gonna to see more of that. What I like and what I kept saying in the first effort was, yes, we want it's a, it's a, it's a superhero show. Yes, it's a special effects show. But you've got you to have heart and you've got to decide who these people are, what their relationships are, and how they evolve. And what I love about what Andrew and Greg and Jeff and David are doing is that they are not only charting the supervillain – awesome effects, the action, the comedy, but they've also got the heart. And fortunately for me, I get to come in and be a part of the heart, you know, which is great fun for me as an actor. What has been your favorite line so far that you had to say? You mean in this season of The Flash? You're going to have to come to my table uh, because you're going to haunt me with the thanks. I'm going to be waking up at four in the morning. That's what I should have said. Uh, I have to say I could almost not get through the the lines on the bed in the hospital bed, which were, if he was my son, I'd tell him a few things. I'd tell him it's a dangerous world out there, so be careful. You know, that uh, that was good stuff. That was good stuff. There's something else that I thought was kind of outrageous, and we all laughed about it. What was it? Jesse and we all cracked up. I had to say it in the scene, and Jesse and I cracked up and said, let's work that into the scene. So in one of the takes, we, we said it, and then we both burst out laughing. Well, they didn't use that. They didn't use that tape. <laughs> I can't think of what that was now. Oh, well. Uh, just a quick comment and a question. I can't see. Uh, I, there. Hi. Here. Hi. Um, hey, how you doing? Good. Um, it's, it's a very well-written show, and... Uh, Especially this last episode uh, at the end uh, with Cisco and, and Harrison Wells revealing, revealing himself as Eobard Thone, and you know he's just sitting there with his hand shaking, and Cisco's just crying and knowing he's going to die. You know, yeah. you know the emotion there. It was just, uh, just awesome, and you know the time travel is going to change this whole dynamic now. So I'm very anxious to see what's going to happen with this. And uh, my question, you said uh, you had worked as a, a bad guy on All My Children. Well, I had seen back in the early 90s Christopher Reeve 
He says he was a bad guy on a soap, and he said he was sitting in uh, Times Square on the hood of his car one time eating an ice cream cone, and a, a little old lady come up and slapped it out of his hand and said, <laughs> said uh, how can you be so mean to them people? Have you ever had any instances of that happening to you? No, luckily. <laughs> the only thing I had, and this is a cool thing, I did a convention with, uh, his name went out of my mind, Shaft. No, the guy that played the, was the original Shaft. Yes, and, 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 and I walk into the Atlanta Convention Center. You know, we're getting, everyone's setting up. Of course, you've got one of the prime places up on a platform, and I hear this big, booming voice. Man, you are an asshole! <laughs> and I'm like, what? He goes, you, and he repeats it. It's thundering through the hall. Everyone thinks there's going to be a big fight or whatever. <laughs> and so he comes out and he goes, I said, I hope you're talking about, I hope you're talking about one life to live. He just kept repeating it. Man, you are an asshole. <laughs> I said, well, uh, when was the last time you saw it? He said, Wednesday. I said, so you don't know that I have Nora uh, uh, tied up spread eagle in the Minuteman motel and I've kidnapped her. And he says, man, you and he just kept but he walked me all the way down to my booth and we were talking about it and at the end he said well it was almost a pleasure meeting you (laughs) there's actually if you go on my Facebook page into some of my pictures there's a picture of him and me from that day and one we we acted out where he's about to punch me you know and then uh, and one where we're just we're just hanging out together but I thought man I've been called an asshole by Shaft I can retire All right, uh, we have time for just a couple more. All right. Uh, my question was, here, I'll stand up to make me easier Thank to you. see. Uh, when you were preparing for either uh, this iteration of The Flash or the last iteration, as an actor myself, I'm always kind of interested in the process. I'm just kind of curious what kind of research you did, if you read any of the comic books or what other kind of things you might have done to get into either role for either Flash show. Uh, for the first one, uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, don't stone me, I wasn't, I didn't read comic books as a kid. And when they said Flash, I went, oh, you mean Flash Gordon? And they were like, no. Of course, I, you know, I play the whole drama out now when anybody asks me that. I'll go, no, the Flash. But um, I took everything that I needed from Danny and Paul's script. Because, you know, I was talking to April Webster, multiple Emmy Award winning casting director of Lost, and she cast the first Flash. And I was like, you know, April, I don't know about playing a comic book character. I don't know much about it. She said, just read the script. Just read it. There's humor, but it's character-driven. And there's the drama of the unblessed son, Jay being the father's favorite. And then he gets these incredible powers that he, he knows his dad would be blunt. He can't tell him. You know, there's all this stuff going on. Um, as I read the script, and I thought, there's so much I can wrap my actor's mind and heart around that I didn't really need, feel the need, nor did I have the time. That was like a runaway train. We were just all trying to hold on once we got started uh, to, to, to go back. Interestingly enough, I've learned more about the 75-year-old character who just turned 75 on March 19th, by the way, Barry Allen. Happy birthday, Barry. And uh, from you guys. That's one reason I enjoy doing conventions, because a lot of you guys know so much more about it as the pop cultural art form that it is than I do. So, 
Yeah, right. but I take most often I take and I've and I've and I've 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 read really great actors that I respect, uh, whether it's in the world of opera, whether it's in the world of, you know, because sometimes Shakespeare, because, you know, dramatic uh, renderings of characters deviate in significant ways from the source material and from historical material. So I've heard a lot of actors say, I really need to take my characterization from the script that I'm doing. Too much information can almost confuse me you know i was a little concerned when i heard that henry allen got killed in prison however it doesn't he die in prison in the comic book i think he does but uh they assured me that's that that's not the plan of course they could be lying who knows <laughs> all right we have time for one more so miss miss ivy yes poison okay. um what has been your favorite part about acting my favorite, my favorite, the thing that turns me on and lights me up is, 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 is the reason that uh, I, I'm glad I am playing the character that I'm playing. I've touched on it before. And, and whenever I've worked with young actors, it's the thing that's so fascinating is when you figure, when you see a young actor discover that acting is not what they thought it was at all. It's not about putting on a character or a concept from the outside. It's about bringing the truth of who you are, you know. Uh, to the moment. So it's no, it's no more complicated than what you and I are doing right now. You're listening to me. You're shaking your head. You're very, you know, one thing that was so cool about not knowing what Barry was going to say at the end of the first prison scene in the pilot was I had to listen because I didn't know when my cue was coming. Well, once you throw all of your attention on the other person, I can see what you're wearing. I, you know, I can see any little move in your face. That's going to generate behavior in me. You know, that, what, whatever passes is truth between two characters in a scene that produces an emotion. Like, you know, people say, oh, man, you destroyed me again. I'm going to have, what, do I have to keep a Kleenex box every time you come on the flat and we see Henry Allen? Well, see, I love that because that's what, excites me yeah all the exciting stuff the super stuff the ride at the amusement park that's all important in entertainment but when something truthful a truthful impulse passes between actors or between an actor and an audience between us here that's what lights me up all right everybody that's all the time we have for today please make sure that you go by john's table he'll be signing for the rest of the day he also has pictures and he'll be here tomorrow as well enjoy the rest of the show